13 in your Bible this morning, 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13, first of many verses to look at together today. And if you can't keep up as we turn, that's fine. Just listen closely uh, to what the scripture says. We're going to turn to a lot of Bible verses as we study our topic for this morning, which is the doctrine of eternal security from our doctrinal statements, which we are studying together. We believe the saved child of God is eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ and is sealed, taught, and comforted by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. One more time. We believe the saved child of God, everybody who has trusted Jesus Christ, his finished work by grace through faith, every saved child of God is eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. The question we'd like to ask and answer from the Bible this morning, can you really be 100% sure that you have a home in heaven? Can a saved person ever go from being saved to once again being lost? Once you have been saved, once you've trusted Christ, is there anything that a person can do to change that condition? You'll hear it described as, Once saved, always saved. Is that actually a Bible doctrine? We'll see very clearly the answer from Scripture together today. 1 John 5.13 will begin this week where we ended last week, pick up right right where we left off, and continue this same thought. The Bible says in 1 John 5.13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. In its context, this is the purpose statement of the epistle of 1 John. It is a book that is dealing with assurance, ways that you can know that you are saved. To make a broader application, this statement would apply to the whole of Scripture. The reason God wrote these things down in black and white in a book is so that we could know how to have eternal life, which very clearly implies that it is possible to be certain of your eternal destiny. You can be today, right now, 100% sure that if you were to die today, that your home forever is in heaven with God, not only can you know, God wants you to know, and the way that you can know is reading what the Bible says about salvation. And here's what it says, even in this very verse, who can know that they have eternal life? Those that believe on the name of the Son of God. The only way that you can have 100% complete and utter confidence of eternal life is that it doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ and what he's already done. Now think about that with me. Again, we we considered this last week when we're talking about salvation by grace through faith and without works. But think about this. If the sole basis for my salvation is the finished work of Jesus Christ, then it's finished. If the sole basis for my salvation is what Christ has accomplished on my behalf, 
Well, what Jesus did on the cross through his death for my sins and his burial and his resurrection, that is unchanging, that is immutable. And if that is the basis for my salvation, then my salvation itself is unchanging and immutable. If salvation has something, anything to do with what I do, then you can't have this confidence. You can't have this certainty. You cannot know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life because as we said last week, you don't know what you're going to do tomorrow. You don't know what you won't do tomorrow. So salvation by grace and eternal security, those two truths from the Bible go hand in hand. You can't separate one from the other. What I do or what I don't do has nothing to do with getting saved or being saved or staying saved. And that's the only way I can know that I'm saved. And it is how I'm saved, based on what Jesus did for me. And so because of that, every saved child of God is eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we gave you four Bible reasons why salvation is not by works. Not an exhaustive list. Uh, but a general list. Four reasons why salvation is not by works. Number one, it excludes boasting. Nobody will brag about what they did to get to heaven. Number two, it would violate the very definition of grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is by definition a gift you do not deserve. Number three, it would render the death of Christ unnecessary. If you could earn salvation by being good or doing something religion, then why in the world would Jesus have to go to the cross and suffer, bleed, and die on our behalf. Number four, it would remove the possibility of eternal security, which this passage very clearly states God wants us to have. So this week, we're going to move past the four reasons why salvation is not by works. I'm going to give you seven Bible reasons for the eternal security of the believer. And once again, we've got to move quickly. Got a lot of Bible verses to look at, but seven Bible reasons for eternal security. Let's pray. We haven't done that yet and ask God to help us, guide us as we study his word. Father, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the answers that it gives us concerning life, concerning what comes after this life. And Lord, help us to take heed, help us to learn these truths, help us to hide them in our hearts. God, help us to learn them well enough to be able to articulate them to others. Give us the boldness and the courage to be witnesses for you the way we ought to be. God, I pray that we would solidify in our minds and hearts what we believe according to your word this morning. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Fill in the points as we move along. You can write whatever notes beside the scripture references uh, that you'd like. But point number one, why we believe in the, the, the eternal security of the believer because salvation is the work of God. Again, we, we, we continue our previous thoughts. Salvation is the work of God. In quick succession, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 8. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. The Bible says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 9 says, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Who saved us? Verse number nine. God saved us. Verse number nine. Not according to our works. Verse number nine. According to his works. Verse number nine. Salvation is the work of 
God. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, making the same point. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Okay, so verse 5, His mercy. Verse number 6, Jesus Christ. Verse number 7, His grace. It's not our righteousness. It's not our works. It's not our religion. It's not our goodness. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with what God did for us. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 12. I'll begin in verse 11. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. If you're redeemed, not something you did for yourself. That's something Jesus did for you. If you're saved, that's not a salvation that you purchased. It's a purchase Christ made for you. It's a gift. He bought it, paid for it, gave it to you. That's the only way any of us have it. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 14, Hebrews 10 and verse 14, the Bible says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. I didn't sanctify myself. Jesus sanctified me. I didn't make myself perfect. That is in the sight of God, before God. Jesus perfected me by the offering that he made, not by an offering that I brought, by his sacrifice on the cross. Come to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Now we said the reason that we believe in eternal security is that salvation is the work of God. The verses we just read made it very clear that salvation is the work of God. But let's attach that now to this doctrine from the Bible, this truth that salvation is forever. It's unchanging. Once you're saved, you can't be lost. You, one can never lose his salvation. Why does the fact salvation is the work of God mean that we can't lose it? It's this verse right here, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says, I know that whatsoever God doeth. Stop right there. Let me ask you a question. According to 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9, Titus 3, 5, Hebrews 9, 12, Hebrews 10, 14, is your salvation something that God did? Simple question, not a trick question, easy answer. Yes, salvation is something the Lord did. So continue reading. I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. If salvation is the work of God, then, and it is, then salvation is eternal. Because whatever God does, it's forever. Verse 14 Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it that men should fear before him. The other reference under this heading is Philippians 1.6. Uh, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I know that salvation is settled and sure, and I'm going to heaven because salvation is the work of God and whatever God does is forever. Point number two, 
Why we are eternally secure in the Lord Jesus Christ is because salvation is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, verses that we've turned to a number of times in previous weeks. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, You can probably quote these verses, but pay attention to what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Everybody very familiar with the concept of a gift this time of year. It is something that whoever is giving the gift buys and pays for and freely and willingly offers to whoever the intended recipient is, whether it's truly out of an expression of love or whether it's, you know, some kind of strings attached. You got me a gift. I've got to give you a gift. I'm going to give you a gift because I want you to give me a gift. Whatever the motivation is, why, why people give gifts, when you give a gift, you're the one who buys it, pays for it, offers it, right? To, to get a gift, you, you, theoretically, you don't have to do anything but take it. And salvation is that way in the truest sense. God did everything that was necessary to make the gift available, and it's available to whoever wants it, and all they have to do is take it by trusting in Jesus Christ. Salvation is the gift of God. John 10, 27. John chapter 10 and verse 27. Let's note how this truth is connected to eternal security. John 10 and verse number 27. The Bible says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life. Look at this promise. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans 11, verse 29. So salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Whoever has this gift, Jesus said they will never perish. I don't see how you can read into that that a saved person could ever be lost. If we shall never perish, that means we shall never perish. Jesus said what he means, and he means what he says. And we take him at his word, believing him to be true. Now, Romans 6.23 says, The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. The gift of God is not temporary life. The gift of God is not eternal life until you sin real bad. The gift of God is not, well, I'm going to give you a trial salvation, 90 days, see how you do. That's not the gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life. Once you have eternal life, how can you ever not have eternal life? You can't. Romans 11, verse 29. Here, here's the thing about God's gifts. Okay, Romans eleven twenty nine For the gifts... And calling of God are without repentance. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Salvation is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. God is not going to repent of giving you those gifts, meaning he's not going to take it back. Let me say something that is now very culturally offensive. God is not an Indian giver. Have you ever heard that phrase? You understand what I'm saying? The Indian giver is one who gives, but then takes back what they gave. I don't know the history of that phrase, and I halfway apologize to whoever might be offended. But an Indian giver gives a gift, takes back the gift. God doesn't do that. 
Christians offended. <laughs> I don't think it's that kind of idiot. All right, so, so the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Salvation's forever because it's a gift and God's not taking it back. Point number three, why do we believe in the doctrine of eternal security? Because God is the one who keeps us saved. God saves us and God keeps us. God redeems us and God preserves us. He didn't save us and then say, all right, hold on to this until I get back. And if you don't, mm, sorry. God saves us and then takes upon himself the responsibility for our preservation. It's, it, it's similar to your Bible. God inspired it, had it recorded, then he promised that he would preserve it. Same way with our souls. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 5. Start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So we're born again, verse 3. We have a home in heaven, verse 4. Verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God. Through faith, unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. How am I kept saved? Not by going to church every Sunday. How am I kept saved? Not by praying before I go to bed every night. How am I kept saved? Not by attaining to a certain level of obedience or Christianity or growth. How am I kept saved? The only way I'm kept saved is by the power of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 12, Timothy is after Thessalonians. You need that reminder. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. The Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Who is it that you believed? For your salvation, this would be Jesus Christ. And I am persuaded that he, the, the same one I believed on, the same one that saved me, he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I trusted Jesus to save me, and I'm trusting him to keep me saved. You cannot divorce the doctrines of salvation by grace and eternal security. If you don't believe in salvation by grace, you don't have eternal security. If you don't believe in eternal security, you don't believe in salvation by grace. Because if, if your salvation is if you get saved, but then you have to keep yourself saved, you're depending on your keeping yourself saved to be saved in the end, which means you're trusting in your works. Any doctrinal system that does not include eternal security is a works salvation system. And the Bible is very clear that salvation is not by works. Point number four, why are we eternally secure? Point number four, because salvation makes one a child of God. Salvation makes one a child of God. John chapter 1 and verse 12, we referenced this verse relating salvation to a gift. John chapter 1 and verse number 12. Look what this gift comes with. John chapter 1 and verse 12. 
The Bible says, but as many as received him. Okay, so so what does being a child of God depend on? Well, n- not your foreordination, not your preselection before the foundation of the world. It depends on the choice you make whether or not to receive Jesus Christ. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 3, uh, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. When you get born again, a spiritual birth, you're born into God's family, you become a child of God. Galatians 3.26, we're all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. The moment I trust him as my savior, I'm reborn and I'm adopted on both counts. I now have a new family. I was of my father, the devil, John 8, 44. I was a child of wrath and of disobedience, Ephesians chapter 2. But having trusted Jesus Christ, I am now a child of God. What a blessing. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. Read these verses, then connect this point to our topic. Romans chapter 8, verse number 15. The Bible says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. So be that we suffer with him, we be also glorified together. Now, all of you experienced a physical birth. Right? Uh, the, the only reason that any of us are here, other than Jesus Christ, because a man and a woman came together, produced a child, right? You were born physically into the world, and whoever gave birth to you is your mom. Okay? Now, a lot of things might happen subsequent to that traumatic experience for her and for you, you just don't remember, of you entering the world, okay? That might make a lot of differences in the relationship, okay? You might grow up in your home and then one day decide your parents are crazy, you want nothing to do with them, you're running away, you're disowning them, you're estranged from them, right? I mean, that happens over and over and over again, and that's unfortunate, but that happens in many cases. People who are just totally estranged from their family, sometimes um, somebody grow up a Muslim, they get saved, they will be disowned from their family. Their family acts as if they are dead, they no longer exist, right? In, In these and many other instances, there's a lot that can happen that can influence family relationships, but none of that will ever change the fact that you were born to that individual and in that family. God forbid one of you turns 18, decides you're done with church, you're done with God, you're done with the Bible, you're going to go live your own way. It's probably going to cause some problems in your home, but it won't mean your mom and dad are not your mom and dad. That is an unchanging biological fact. 
People get crazy and decide that gender is something that's in their mind. And so they decide they're going to switch and they start wearing different clothes and they get surgery and they take hormones. Here's what the rest of the world that's not crazy understands. It doesn't change what you are. Okay? So relate all of this to your salvation. You get born again. You're a child of God. Now you can please your father or you can displease your father. You can have a good relationship with your father. You can have a bad relationship with your father. You can choose to enjoy the benefits of being part of God's family. Or you can decide you wish you never were a part of that family. But whatever it is you decide to do, it never changes the fact that if you're a child of God, he's your father, you're his child, that relationship cannot be changed. Your fellowship can be affected. You can either enjoy or not enjoy the relationship but you can't change the fact that you were born again any more than you can change the fact that you were born physically. Does that make sense? It's a a great argument, a great Bible reason why we know salvation is forever. It makes us a child of God. Point number five. Point number five. Salvation includes forgiveness for all sin. Salvation includes forgiveness for all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, the first verse in the list, the most important under this point. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. The Bible says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from, say the word, all sin. I knew you wouldn't do it. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All right, Not, not some sins. Not the little sins. Not up to a certain number of sins. Not the sins that you committed before you got saved, but not the sins you would commit after you got saved. No, if Jesus Christ paid for my sins and I trusted him, then the payment he made covers every sin. People think about this in a really weird way. They, 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 they somehow have this concept, this idea, that I sin for 20 years, I get saved, Jesus forgives me of all of that, but if I ever sin again, then what Jesus did on the cross didn't cover for these sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for this, for every sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl of all time. And even the sins that I would commit up to the point of salvation, um, they were paid for in advance. <laughs> Jesus died for those a long time ago. And the same blood that covered every sin I would commit up to the point in time I got saved is the same blood that covers every sin that I would commit After I get saved, and judicially speaking, in the sight of God, having been saved, I'm forgiven of them all. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Revelation 1.5, He loved us and washed us from our sin in His own blood. John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. If I'm saved, I can't be condemned. John 3.18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. Praise the Lord. 
Romans chapter 8, turn there and let's read those verses. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 35. Forgiveness for all sins. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. The Bible says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword is written? For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Revelation 1.5, he loved us and washed us from our sins. Romans 8, nothing changes that. Praise God. Point number six, why we believe in the eternal security of the believer. Why we believe in eternal in the eternal security of the believer. And it is because the grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is not a license to sin. What do we mean by that? We'll turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 because God anticipated the argument that unsaved people would make. Because if you try to convince somebody that their works aren't getting them to heaven, if you try to show somebody from the Bible that once you're saved, you were always saved, here's the inevitable question that will come up. Are you telling me that I can say a prayer and trust Jesus Christ and then go and live however it is that I want. And what they're saying by that is what they really want to do is live after the flesh, uh, disregarding the word of God, doing whatever they want to do, whatever feels good in the moment. They just, right? That's what they're saying by that statement. But here's what the Bible tells us. The grace of God that saves us also teaches us to live holy lives. The grace of God that saves us does not provide us an excuse to displease the Lord. It motivates us to serve Him and obey Him. Let's look at the verses. Romans 5 verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. There is no sin outside the reach of God's grace. What a wonderful truth from the Bible. That as sin hath reigned in the death, even so might grace reign through righteousness and to eternal life by Jesus Christ the Lord. Chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, if God's got enough grace to cover all my sins, what's to keep me from sinning to the max? <laughs> and just testing the limits of God's grace. You, you say it really abounds? Let's see how much. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Here's the answer, verse 2. God forbid that is a complete misunderstanding of the biblical concept of God's grace. That's not what it means. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You see, when grace is in operation in a saved person's life, it begins to make some changes in their behavior, their conduct, and their mindset, and their approach. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 again. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse number 8, you know these verses, I'm sure, but it's important that we see it together from the Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
But, but the passage continues, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. You'll see this consistently throughout the New Testament. Every passage that says you're not saved by your works, then says once you are saved, you need to do good works. Every passage in the New Testament that says you're, eternal secure, you're eternally secure in Jesus Christ, getting saved is not by your works, staying saved is not by your works, also includes an admonition, an exhortation, a reminder that your life is supposed to be a life of good works. It doesn't save you, it doesn't keep you, but it's what the grace of God produces. So we can't take grace from the Bible to mean something that grace in the Bible doesn't mean. Because the grace in the Bible means that our lives are now changed. That our lives are now different. See it in Titus chapter 2. Turn to Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2. Beginning in verse 11. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us, verse 12, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See, saving grace alters, affects, changes your life. Verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope, glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. God saved me by his grace and gave me the gift of eternal life. That ought to produce in my heart a love for him that causes me to want to serve him. Makes me zealous of Good works. Titus chapter 3, next chapter, we read verse 5, not by works of righteousness we have done. Verse number 7, justified by his grace. Verse number 7, hope of eternal life. Verse number 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. All right, so saved by grace doesn't mean you're off the hook. Saved by grace means you now have the ability because Jesus is in you. You now have the desire because Jesus has saved you. You now have the reason, the motivation to pursue a life that is pleasing to God. One last verse under this heading, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. Galatians 5 and verse 13. And the Bible says, For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So all the Bible's saying in that verse, the fact that Christ has made you free, that's not free to sin, that's free from sin. It's, it, it's, liberty is not a license to go and live however you want. The grace of God gives you the power to live in a way that pleases him. Hebrews chapter 6, last point. Why do we believe that the saved child of God is eternally secure in Jesus Christ? Because salvation is the work of God, number one. Salvation is a gift, point two. God is the one who keeps us saved, point three. Salvation makes us children of God, point four. Salvation includes forgiveness for all sin, point five. Because the grace of God is not a license to sin, point six. And then point number seven, Hebrews chapter six. If you could lose it, you could never get it back. 
if you could lose it, you could never get it back. Those who teach conditional salvation, those who deny the eternal security of the believer, those who say someone who is saved can be lost, someone who is saved can lose their salvation, also have some system whereby you get salvation back again. Like you got saved, you got lost, you get saved again. You get lost again, you get saved again. And you can bounce back and forth. Now, uh, depending on the denomination, depending on the teaching, it might be some different process, some different procedure. Church of Christ, you have to be baptized to get saved. And then you fall into sin. Well, you don't have to get baptized again. You just have to repent. Not sure exactly how it is that works or what Bible that's based on. But I want to show you from the Bible that if you could lose your salvation... You can never get it back. Pay attention to these words. Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on in perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of resurrection from the dead and of eternal judgment. This will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again under repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, that is a little more complicated passage. We're not going to go through the entire passage this morning, but you notice what it said. If, if you fall away, meaning lose salvation, if we take that to mean lose salvation, which we don't, but if that's what it means then it is impossible to be renewed. It is If you lose your salvation, verse 4 says, it's impossible to get it back. Why? Because verse number 6 says, they crucified themselves the Son of God afresh. How many times did Jesus die? Once, right? Okay, so if you could get saved and then you could get lost, that means that what Jesus did that one time wasn't good enough. Right? Because if I can lose my salvation, it means what Christ did was insufficient. It means that Jesus' death was good, but it, it didn't do the whole trick. It, it, it couldn't cover for this because this made me lost. Even though his payment on the cross had saved me previously. You see the argument? If I could get lost, that means that what I did to get lost was not covered by the sacrifice Christ made. Guess what? He's not coming again to die. He's not getting back on the cross. If what he did the first time wasn't good enough, you're out of hope because he's not dying again. So if you could lose your salvation, you could never get it back. But praise God, you can't lose it. And once you have it, it's yours Forever, the believer is eternally secure in Jesus Christ. Plenty of reasons from the Bible to believe that and hope that you do. Let's pray. Father, surely thank you for your word. And God, thank you for the liberty we have in Christ. Thank you for the confidence that we have in Christ. I pray that your grace would have its intended effect upon our lives. And God, this would cause us to love you more and desire to serve you better. Bless us now in the church service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.